Welcome to Life's Tea Time. I'm your host, Sam Schufenecker. In this podcast, I'm chatting with the people I meet on the journey competing in amateur golf. Have you ever wanted to make progress on something that matters to you personally? If you have, this is a great conversation to tune into. Today, I chat with Cheryl K. Johnson, boxer and author of Box Lunch Lifestyle, a book about using your lunch break to spark change. In this episode, we talk about two of the most important questions you can ask yourself. How do you spend your time and what do you eat? We also cover Cheryl's journey finding boxing and her desire to change how people spend their lunch. There are so many gems in this episode, no doubt you will get something out of it. Enjoy. Well, it's so nice to have you here, Cheryl. I'm really excited to talk to you. We haven't spoken in a while. And one thing, you know, maybe somebody might be wondering why you're on a golf podcast (laughs) when you don't play golf. (laughs) Um, But I guess you've been really important in my journey, I think, getting to this point. One, playing golf, and the other having a podcast. And also, I saw a lot of my journey in your book. So that's why I wanted to have you on here. We met back in the end of 2019, I believe. I took Seth Godin's Alt-MBA and somebody in my Alt-MBA cohort introduced us. And I'm really happy that they did. Oh, I am too. Well, and and thank you. It, it's a pleasure to be here with you and with your listeners today. I actually do have a golf story. If you'd like to hear my golf story, I know you won't believe this. So right after college, I took a job. It was one of those, you need a job, so you take the job, even though this is not necessarily your dream job. So I took a job in a sales office with an HVAC manufacturer. So we're selling furnaces and air conditioners. And one of the big events for the sales group was their annual golf event. And I started to realize that if I didn't play golf, I was going to be the person in the office answering the phone and doing all the work while everyone else was gone playing golf. (laughs) I took golf lessons. And, and not exclusively for that purpose, but that I, I won't, I won't kid you. This, this, this is the primary driver, right? Is that I did not want to be the person left behind. So I took golf lessons so that I was uh, good enough. So it, and it was a, a best ball tournament. So no one was completely discouraged by, <laughs> by me being part of it, but I did play the whole course with a five iron. So yeah, there, there you have it. Was that all you had or? That's, that's all I felt confident using, mm. honestly. The five iron and the putter. That was it. <laughs> nice. How many lessons did you do, if you remember? I, you know, I did it for a couple months and I kept going after that. I mean, it was really, uh, it, it was really interesting. I think that maybe like boxing, people don't realize the, the nuances of a sport and how complicated it is. I think that there are a lot of things that are misunderstood until you're deep into a sport. And it did give me a different kind of respect for golfers and what it takes, both the physical part of it and the psychology of it. Mm, yeah, I'm still learning both. <laughs> yeah, a, a reverse story 
for you is you're a boxer. And in between when I stopped playing golf after college and when I picked it up again five years later, in between that period, I was trying to figure out what to do for physical fitness because I was an athlete all my life. And that just ended after college and I needed to find something else as I pretty strongly thought about boxing. And I was like uh, ingesting a lot of boxing information, but I never signed up for anything. But I'm curious, when did you decide to start boxing and what was going on at that time and how did you get started? It's been quite a long time. And I was never the athlete growing up or even as a young adult the same way you were. But in my early 20s, I started to take fitness pretty seriously. So I did a lot of the usual, you know, you start with the aerobics classes at the Y and then you progress to, I progressed to some long distance cycling. So I did a few long distance rides, MS-150 type rides and all the training that goes with that. I was really serious about spinning when that was a thing. And as I got stronger and more fit, I was always looking for a new challenge. So at the gym I was at at the time, they posted a notice for an intro to boxing class. And I, I don't know why it was so appealing to me. I think that some of it was just that I was ready for something new and hard, but there was something just a, a coolness factor to it. And I thought, well, what... What could be harder <laughs> or cooler or edgier than boxing? I, I couldn't not try it. So I'm, I'm sure I'm the first person who signed up for this. And this was a class with two amateur boxers. They started the boxing program actually in the UW system at one of the, one of the universities here. And uh, these are just two young guys who came in and it, it wasn't like any other fitness class I've ever had. These guys weren't curating their playlists or worried about what they were wearing or <laughs> or making small talk before we got started. They treated us like boxers, and none of us had done any of this before. All ages, teens, older people. It was kind of a uh, it was really a nice group that way. But these guys were serious, and they treated us like boxers. And it, I really appreciated that because. It was hard. These are all things that we haven't done before. And it requires a kind of confidence that uh, doesn't come naturally to, I think, most of us. So when they said we were going to do 100 sit-ups <laughs> and we all, you know, you, then we just look at them wide-eyed, you were going to do them. You, you could take as long as you needed to do them, but you were going to do them. There wasn't any oh, I'm just really tired today, or you didn't get a, a pass because you're a girl or because you're tired or because you, you were expected to do it. And I think that being taken seriously that way was good. It was certainly good physically because I got really strong during that time, but also just psychologically, confidence-wise, I think when you start from a place where people believe you can do it, you can't not be successful. You start in a good place and you can only get stronger from there. When did you first fall in love with boxing? Was it that first day or later on? I think I loved it from the beginning. And I, it just, it, it sounds so crazy because 
if you if you saw me at the grocery store, you would not say, "Oh, look, it's a fighter." <laughs> oh, it's a boxer. I I just don't fit the mold at all. But there there was something about that kind of discipline and you know, the physicality of it and the attitude of it that just I just really connected with it from the very beginning. So this was this was right before my 40th birthday and I think these classes went on for a couple years and sadly not everybody loved it as much as I did because at the end it ended up uh, mostly just being me and one of the trainers who was a, a former 220 pound amateur boxer who is over six feet tall. So I did a lot of punching up literally. <laughs> so I got really strong because we just did lots and lots of hand pads. But you know, when that class went away, I took a year or so off, but I I missed it. When I wasn't doing that, there was really a, a void and I, I noticed that. So I did look around for another place and I found the gym that I'm at now and I've been there for over over 10 years. So I've been doing this for a while and Oddly enough, the amateur boxer that I trained with back at the old gym, he's at this gym now. So we're still connected and we still work together, not as often as we as we used to, but it's it's really nice. And I think that probably for all sports, you know, the coach you have, the environment you're in really makes a difference. And I think I was particularly lucky with boxing when every gym has its own personality. But I think that there are boxing gyms that encourage people to compete or engage in ways that aren't necessarily healthy because it's not really about fighting. It isn't about hurting the other person. It's about being able to touch them in certain ways, right? So you get points for touches and you can you can do that without the kind of well, I'll use the word brutality that you see in professional boxing. It doesn't have to be like that. So I think that I was also very lucky to be working with coaches that understood that this is a sport and you don't hit people because you're angry. <laughs> you hit them in a, in a way to score a point and you can do that with a lot of finesse and grace and have a lot of fun with it. What are you working on day to day? Is it technique or uh, getting stronger? What does the day to day practice look like? There, there are certain muscle groups that you really want to focus on so that you're strong. So I would say there's a strength component and there's a really big stamina component. So a good example of you see in all the Rocky movies, you'll see him jumping rope right? <laughs> we jump a lot of rope. And and that's partly because of the stamina. You need to be on your toes and you need to be responsive and agile all the time you're in the ring. But there's also when you're jumping rope, you're developing a whole lot of little muscle fibers in your shoulders. And you notice when you first start jumping rope that now your legs might get tired, your calves might get tired if you don't stretch a lot or if you don't warm up, but they're just the fronts, the fronts of your shoulders get really sore, but you get to that point where you've developed those muscles enough that they're strong enough to take you through and you might get tired for other reasons, but you will use those same muscles a lot to keep your hands up in the ring. And that's really important. You never, 
you never want your hands to be too far from protecting your own face. Yeah, I think that's why I wanted to get into boxing back in the day because I've never felt like I had really strong upper body. So I'm like, oh, this will be a great way to keep my upper body fit. And that's something you talk a little bit. We will get to the book. But one thing you talk about in your book that really resonated with me is the idea that boxing allowed you to be a friend again with food and your body and that you were looking at exercise and food as a way to be able to do the activity that you want to do. And I definitely feel that way with golf. Like for me, my first season back for golf, I didn't do anything outside of the golf course to get me ready. And I was just falling apart (laughs) physically. Wow. And so I had to get back in the gym and I had to lift weights and, and stretch and everything. But can you talk a little bit about that? Maybe, maybe from the physical side and we can get to the food side later or wherever you want to take that. That was something that kind of surprised me in all the good ways that because I don't compete and, and to be clear, I've never competed as a boxer. I just started too late. So I've, I've not been in tournaments. I don't, uh, I don't compete. I, I train with people who do compete. If you're not in a weight class, boxers don't really care what you weigh and you can't really look at someone physically and say, oh, they're, they're a good boxer. And, and maybe that's not so different from other sports, but it was really refreshing to me because in a lot of the fitness scenarios I'd been in previously, there's kind of a look, you know, the aerobics instructors look away. And I think assumptions are made about what people can or can't do based on appearance. And that's, that's tough because we look the way we look. And not that we can't change the shapes of our bodies or the size of our bodies, but all God's children have fat on their bodies. And some of us just carry it in different places. And some of us have more than others. But the nice thing about the boxing gym was that really nobody cared. And what I needed to be able to do is to perform. So even something as simple as hydration, you have to be hydrated when you go into this because you can't, you can't just stop in the middle of a round and get something to drink and you can't uh, you can't keep going as long as you can without being hydrated. So for me, it wasn't about here's the gallon of water. You, you need to cross this off the list for the day. It's because I wanted to do better at the gym. So I was happy to drink the water. And in general, the way we eat, it you know, what a what a great way to to look at nutrition and and what our bodies need, not so much to look a certain way or because we've followed someone else's prescription for what we should or shouldn't eat or what's good or bad, but to say, I want to be a person who can do this thing. I love this thing. So if it means that I have to do hundreds of abs so that if you do get touched in the side or in the liver, which really, really hurts... (laughs) You really want those muscles to be strong. I mean, you can't be you can't be soft there, and that kind of hit, even a tap, will really slow you down. So the stronger you can be, the longer you're going to last in the in the ring. So it's really for me a, a healthier way to think about you know, food in particular, because you know, when you think about it, 
why why is it that we're eating in general, right? Why do we eat? We need to stay alive. Well, why are we staying alive? And I know that's, <laughs> that sounds really crazy, but but what is it that you want to be doing with those days, these days of your life? And when we focus so much on really extreme approaches to food or unrealistic expectations of what our body should look like or how much it should weigh in particular, depending on what it is that you want to do, maybe you don't want to be a boxer, but if you want to play the cello, you don't have to lose the next six pounds to play the cello. You, you don't have to be a certain way to do a lot of the things that we want to do. And that's not to say that people don't have health conditions or are in situations where their body shape or weight is really causing, it's really compromising what they can do. If you, uh, if you want to climb Everest, you're probably going to have to be at a certain weight with a certain kind of capacity. But for most of what we want to do in life, uh, we need to have a clear focus. We need to have healthy brains. We have to have reasonably healthy bodies. But the focus on a, a weight goal in the future, to me, often feels like an excuse to not do more of the things that we want to do today because we could do them. You don't have to wait to be that person in the future. Yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, that's a good segue, I think, into why you started Box Lunch Lifestyle. Can you tell me about how how you started? Yeah. And I think that the idea really started when I was still working my corporate job. So I was working a desk job and doing a lot of stuff at my gym. And wherever I looked, I saw people who saw this potential future happy self, right? So whatever it was that they wanted to be or do, it wasn't happening then. And they were too busy to do it that day, or they were too tired to do it that day, or claim to not know how to do it that day. So it got put off. It's sort of like at, at the time we're talking right now, we're coming up on New Year's resolutions and don't get me started. I really, really hate <laughs> New Year's resolutions. This, To me, this is just an excuse to not be that person today because I believe that you can. If I believe that, then how could I show people how that it's possible and it's not as hard as we we think it is. And doing those things that we feel most satisfied with at the end of the day, also not as hard. If we if we focus on something that's just a little better, something that's smaller, something that's regular, like all of these things that we know, you know, I'm kind of a, a research nerd, you know, professionally, I was a research director for a, an assessment division for, for almost 20 years. So my research nerd slant says, what do we know about effective habit change? All of these things are small, regular, and fun. They're not, uh, we don't do these things to punish ourselves. It shouldn't feel like a penalty because we won't, we won't keep doing them. It should be fun. So what could you do practically to say, show me how you can, you can do this. And what I came up with was, was lunch <laughs> because what, what is lunch? It's a little bit of food and it's a little bit of time. And when you think about the concept, this broad umbrella term that we use for lifestyle, 
those are the two basic choices we have to make every day. What do we eat and how do we spend our time every day? Every day we make this choice. But if we narrow our focus to just look at something small, lunch can really be you know, that micro version of the life that you want. You In that little meal, you can eat the way you've always wanted to eat. And you could do those things that you've always promised yourself you want to do. You can't do all of it, but you can experience enough of it to say, you know, today I am that person doing it. And that kind of positive reinforcement, I mean, that is fuel for a cycle that just keeps going. And the beautiful thing about lunch, well, there are a few things, but one, for me, there are no acronyms to remember <laughs> because I, I can't do that. <laughs> so if there's something new that I need to memorize what these letters stand for, I will never do that. But lunch is kind of a thing, right? People know what lunch is. You don't have to explain to somebody what lunch is. You know, it's it's built into the culture. I mean, whether we're good about actually taking that break or not, lunch is a thing and it shows up again tomorrow and it shows up again the next day, just like life, right? So these choices that we make, you know, maybe today doesn't play out the way you think it's going to, but tomorrow you have another chance and this is life, right? We do the best that we can. You show up and, you know, for a box lunch lifestyle, the idea was, Make this food yourself. It can be very simple. Include a couple vegetables and then spend that 15 minutes actually noticing and eating the food. Like pay attention to what you're doing. Enjoy that. It's different for you physically, but also psychologically. You are eating something that you're proud to be eating. So enjoy that. And then to take 15 minutes to do something that's not just another chore, like something that you're really excited to do. And that's almost the definition of what this, how this time should be spent. If it's something that you're thinking, oh, man, I, I really don't want to, don't spend your time that way. Show yourself that in the middle of even the busiest work day, you can take time to refuel with something that you're proud of and do something that feels like the real personal you, not the worker you, not the responsible daughter, friend, wife, partner, vice president, whatever, but just to be that person that you want to be. And it's likely going to be something, well, it could be something as quirky as an interest in a sport like boxing that why, why am I drawn to this? I have no idea. And, and I've, I don't even try to explain it anymore. But I think that there are there's probably something that you're drawn to personally that is worth exploring and giving yourself the chance to experience that even in a, in a micro way is satisfying in the way that bigger accomplishments sometimes aren't. Yeah. And I'm thinking this probably comes from James Clear, but like if you can't do it for 15 minutes, you're not going to be able to do it for, I feel like there's a lot of excuses out there that oh, I don't have three hours to commit to this thing, so I might as well not start. So 15 minutes is a really easy way to just set aside time for that. It is, and I, I love that too, that it makes the lunch framework, you know, this reflecting back to you of the choices that actually make it to the top of the list on a typical day, not what you aspire to someday, but, you know, think about, think about your last workday lunch, 
So if you're if you're listening to this, just think about your last workday lunch experience. What did you eat? How did you spend your time? Did you skip it? Uh, were you eating the low-fat yogurt during the meeting because there wasn't time for anything else? Did you uh, run errands? Were you scrolling on social media? Were you outdoors taking a walk or noticing the weather or connecting with a friend? It can be a really nice reflection back to you of the things that really do make it to the top of the list on the typical day. And when you mentioned James Clear, another element of this that I really like from his work is it also reinforces the concept of what he calls an, an instant identity, that once you decide, and he, he has a great example. He uses the example of the habit change of stopping smoking. So there's, a, there's really a big difference if you are stopping smoking and someone offers you a cigarette and you can say, oh, no, thanks, I'm, I'm trying to quit. Or you can say, no, thanks, I'm not a smoker. When you adopt the identity of I am not a smoker, that puts you in a really different mindset. It's much easier to, to continue with that kind of identity that you that you want because you've already owned that. So, you know, if you, if you want to be someone who, uh, you know, whatever that is, if you learn a few words of Portuguese today, you can say, I am a person who speaks Portuguese and maybe just a few words, but you've done it. And you know, if you like it or not, you know, if you want to do more of it or not, but you're not at the end of your life saying, oh, I wish I had tried this, or I wish I had done whatever. You, you don't have to let those things pass you by. Yep. That makes all of the small decisions that you don't realize that you're making easier. Because I know for me, I'm like, oh, I'm a podcaster now. I have a bunch of episodes yeah. out. Yeah. I got it. I got to find the next person to interview. Like there isn't a question. Whereas like, you know, maybe if I emailed someone and they never respond or something, I might be like, oh, well, I guess, I guess I don't have an episode coming out. One thing that I, I think I read this on your website is that you talk about the how and why I eat, not the what, which I'm someone who talks about the what all the time, <laughs> but have realized that the how and why is way more important. Can you explain that a little bit for everybody and why why that's so important? Honestly, I think that the what we eat is probably in part a factor of the economy, right? There's a lot of talk about what we consume because People are trying to sell us what they want us to consume, <laughs> right? They're, I mean, that, that's something you can monetize. That's something you can measure. And I, I think that we have so much more power than we realize to, to take that part of lifestyle back for ourselves and say, it doesn't have to be a product. Lifestyle is not their product. Our lifestyle is our process. It's something that we craft for ourselves for that works for our bodies and our circumstances, which sometimes change from day to day. So the idea of talking about how you eat, well, 
half of box lunch lifestyle is that 15 minutes that you take to eat this food that you prepared yourself, which in and of itself is a process because a lot of people are not really putting their hands on real food very often. And I'm, I'm not saying that you should spend your whole weekend putting quinoa in little individual containers unless that's what you want to do. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but it's probably an, a, an important part of life to understand where the vegetables come from and what it's like to pick out fresh ones and where they probably came from. But also the process of eating, if you're not the kind of person who typically notices, if you've not timed how long it takes you to eat your lunch, I encourage you to do that because 15 minutes to eat a typical lunch meal doesn't sound like a long time. It's kind of a long time. If you're chewing and enjoying your food, you kind of have to pace yourself for 15 minutes and that's very intentional because it does matter when you slow down. Physiologically, it matters. You digest your food differently. Uh, how you uh, register uh, satiety is different when you slow down. But, you know, that process of how we eat and then why we eat, I mean, this, this is what we're talking about. How do you want to spend your days? What is it that you want to do? Like, what is it that you're putting in your body that will allow you to do that? The food part is important to me because for me, it really did start there. It really did start with thinking about the kind of food you need to eat specifically to have the brain you need to even make the decision about what am I interested in? I think so many people are so busy and so overwhelmed. And, you know, if you're, if you're only drinking a diet Coke for lunch, you probably don't have the brain to make the kind of, you know, self-aware decisions over the long term. Like what, what are you really interested in? I think we are, are, you were fueled by adrenaline and pulled in a lot of different directions and, and maybe not setting the kind of priorities for ourselves alongside the priorities that the world and other people are setting for us. So I think that the why is, is important in that way too. I feel like that moment of awareness just at lunch is also worth half the exercise because when you were just talking through like everyone think about what you had for lunch yesterday I don't actually remember what I had for lunch or what I was doing. I don't know what time I sat down to eat. So it just reminds me that throughout the day, you're going through the motions for the most part. So having that time to stop and make a conscious choice is really important. We're going to talk, we're already talking about the book a little bit more. Uh, and I have a bunch of questions about the book. But when did you decide to write the book? I had the idea for a while and, you know, I never really thought about myself as an author. I don't know that I ever really aspired to write a book, but I think this is an important idea. And again, I just, I felt like the wannabe habit changers of the world needed an easy way to start. And by writing the book and summarizing it and actually giving people kind of a step-by-step -step, as easy as it is. I mean, it's lunch. <laughs> you guys know what lunch is. You don't really, you know, I don't even know how much you need me. But if there is a way to get started and to show people how just taking those two questions 
a little bit more seriously, but in a playful way, could get them started towards something else. I felt like a book was the right way to have enough time to spend with individual people to really connect with them when when it was time for them to make that kind of change. And you know, Sam, I'm I'm not a social media person. I think that what I want to say and how I want to help people, I have to have more than just sound bites or photos to show them. So the book was important to me in that way because I I do think that when somebody is ready, it gives me, you know, just those few hours to say on your own time when you are ready. I'm here and I really want to help you with this. And my hope is that I can't get to them personally, but on scale, I'm hoping that I'll be able to connect with people through the book. And then when people need me, I hope they'll reach out because I do I do respond to all the emails that come in at boxlunchlifestyle.com. I respond to them personally. And I love hearing from people, especially when they have a reason why they can't do this. I mean, it's it's lunch, folks. <laughs> I I think you can do it and I can I can show you how. But that was that was really uh, the point. So in 2018, I left my corporate position to commit myself full time to the book because I I wanted the idea to have its best shot at getting out in the world and connecting with people. So I decided to publish as an independent author, which has been a great experience in the, how do I want to spend my time? I want to spend my time with smart, interested, enthusiastic people. And self-publishing gave me the opportunity to build that team. The people who made this book possible are just amazing. And it was as important to me that the process of the book was as much of a reward as the book when I had it in my hands. And I just, I got tremendously lucky being surrounded by really, really great people. Did the process start with your 15 minutes during lunch? I I think that I'll, I'll be honest. I can't say that it did necessarily because I would, and this is something that I talk about in the book too. I, the book for me is really a first place dream. Mm-hmm. It's a first place dream. And what I mean by that is that, you know, there are these big things that we do in life, right? Uh, writing a book is hard work, <laughs> really, really hard work. But there are these things, you know, the your marriage, your career, your doctorate, you know, what, what you, these degree programs, these are, these are big, they're public, they take a lot of resources, they take a lot of energy. And there are also things that we tell people about. So when people ask, so what are you doing now? You say, oh, I'm writing a book. Oh, you know, this, they form an opinion based on that. So there, there's some kind of perception of either status or money that come with these first place dreams. But then there are second place dreams and these are quiet things. These are the, the personal aspirations. These are just the, I don't know why I'm curious about, I don't know, orchids, but I am just for whatever reason you like these things and you, you know, you don't know why you're drawn to them, but you are, and they're personal. And so they may be things that other people don't even know about. They are the kinds of things that make you 
uniquely that person. And, you know, why are they second place? It's not because it's not because they're any less important. I think a lot of times they take second place because the first place dreams just are so loud. <laughs> we don't even we don't even hear the second place dreams or there are things that at some point someone said to you that you couldn't sing or they uh, the world tells you that oh well there's no money in that or that we've convinced ourselves that whatever this thing is, even if it's a small thing, that, well, we can't do that right now, or we can't, you know, there's no time for that, or I'm going to do this someday when work is less busy, or when the kids grow up. Well, life doesn't ever get any less busy. It gets differently busy. But I think that by pursuing these second place dreams and actually having the time and place to do that, it brings a kind of satisfaction at the end of the day that the that the first place dreams don't. Yeah, thank thanks for defining those because I was going to ask that question because I, I was thinking too like golf maybe was a second place dream at the beginning, but now it's definitely a first place dream. Like I have committed to a, like turn pro in the Stephen Pressfield sense. And it's out there in front. Which I love, but, but just think that if this was a second place dream and you were curious about it, but you never tried it, mm-hmm. I mean, what, uh, you know, what, what, a, what a loss on so many levels that because what, for whatever reason you were curious and pursued this, that look what it's, it's led to. And that, that's true for boxing for me is that, yeah, I'm, I'm stronger and I'm fit and I'm probably in the best shape I've ever been in my life. Even still at 54, I, I feel like I can do more. But I've also, by connecting with this quirky little subculture, I've, I've made some of the best friends I'll ever have. I mean, these are the people who, you know, held me up while I, you know, while I dealt with my mom's death from cancer. These are people who are like, my, my life is much, much richer. And I think that the richness that comes from, you know, the connections you've made through golf or that I've made through boxing, just, we, we would be leaving all those things on the table too, if we didn't pursue them. So when people say, oh, well, this is such a silly thing, on the surface, maybe learning to play the mandolin at 60 seems silly, but you just, you don't know where that thread is going to take you. And why leave that unexplored? Because you don't know, like no, no one knew when they tried for the first time, right? That that was, that was going to be the thing for them. But but how wonderful that you that we do try because you know look at what's all on the horizon for you now like how exciting is that it is it's very exciting and i think throughout that whole time i was trying to fill a hole that like any second place dream would fill that like mm-hmm. caught my interest cuz i went in the years between college and when i picked golf up again i went through like a number of things. I thought I was going to be a hiker. I thought that I was, I got really into like woodworking and I wanted to build my own furniture. So I took a wood woodworking class, but through that exploration and I've dumped a lot of them. I was a knitter. I, I still knit, knit a lot, but it was definitely an attempt to fill some sort of need to express myself in, in many different ways. 
Yeah, and and I think that it's wonderful to hear someone who ha- who still has that like that sense of curiosity because I don't think that as adults we're encouraged to pursue those kinds of things. I mean, we we do this with kids all the time, and we we know that this is essential for their growth. But honestly, I don't I don't think we ever really outgrow that need. It's just hard when you're a an adult because we feel like there needs to be uh, some kind of measurable outcome. And there, there really doesn't that kind of self-expression. And I love too, Sam, that all the things that you, I, I think all the things that you mentioned, they were all things that happen in the real world. These are all things that you put your hands on. And I think that that's also part of the void that a lot of people fill, especially now that so much is virtual. Our books are virtual, everything, you know, so much of what we do, but to really, and, and I encourage people when they can to, to whatever extent they can make that second place dream time at lunch, something that is real that you experience with your senses. Yes. I think that's, you know, the same way food is nourishing that way. I think that those kind of physical experiences are nourishing in ways that I think Adults are maybe more hungry for than they realize. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. I feel like especially if you're in front of screens all the time, all the time. it's it's good good to break away from that. One quote that stuck out to me was this one: "Quote what I'm an expert on is me. From my years as a researcher, perhaps the most important thing I learned was that without self awareness and self confidence." All the data and books and podcasts in the world were useless to me. End quote. I feel like through my own growth, especially through healthy eating, is to be like, I'm an expert on me. I know what I like. I know what I don't like. I know how I can prepare food. I know what I'm going to stick with. Like, I don't know, that quote just really stuck out to me as something that's really important for anyone to pay attention to and understand. Yeah, I'm, I mean, that, that really means a lot to me because I think that it's a little bit revolutionary to say, I'm going to do it my way, especially when it comes to food, because there's so much judgment about what's good and what's bad. And, you know, there's something that I will, I will never forget that I, for a long time, I went to these sessions here at the University of Minnesota. It was an eating disorders researcher group and they would talk about various topics. And I remember, uh, and, and this is when I was still very much in the traditional fitness, nutrition, diet mind frame. I remember one of the women saying, uh, they're really, they're, you can't think about food as bad. You can't think about any food as bad. She said, if if the Twinkie is what's going to keep this child alive today, the Twinkie is not bad. And that changed me. It changed me because that's true for that person. If that is the thing they will eat and it keeps them alive because the purpose that day is to stay alive when you're in you know, a clinical situation like that. So I think that being able to say for yourself, I know what I like and I know what is sustainable for me and what's doable for me. 
And and that's why I, I try very hard to, um, you'll notice that I never use the word diet in this book, <laughs> because I, I don't think that saying no to yourself is very kind. And I think that kindness goes a long way when it comes to food. So if you really like chocolate cake, I think you should eat chocolate cake at lunch. I, I think that that is perfectly good food. I think that you need to make it yourself. Because I think that a lot of things that if you've not ever made your own, you don't fully appreciate what, how engineered a lot of the food can be. Even things as simple as a really good example for me is salad dressing. Salad dressing should be the simplest ingredients ever. <laughs> really, and I'm I'm shocked when you pick up a bottle of salad dressing. And I'm not I'm not I'm not saying that I don't use. Uh, store-bought salad dressing. I I do. And I know it's in it. And I'm making a choice when I eat it. But if you make your own salad dressing, even just one time, you have a different kind of appreciation for that. So so what I encourage people with better food is to to not ever say no. But when you can, make it as much from scratch as you can. And that sounds scary to people. It doesn't have to be. But also to include two vegetables at your lunch meal, because it almost always means you're bumping something that's ultra processed. So if you're adding an extra vegetable, you're probably not doing the chips with it. You're probably not doing the extra bread. You're probably not doing whatever. And not that there's anything wrong with those things either. It's just that it's surprising how easy it can be to add one vegetable to lunch, but two. Yeah, kind of think about that a little bit. <laughs> and and then if you want to be somebody who's eating more vegetables, again, James Clear would say, today you are a person who eats more vegetables and it's not somebody out in the future who's going to do better with food. You're doing that right now. And if it's one meal a day, you know, you're a rock star because it's more than most people will do and you're you're showing up for yourself in a way that you really deserve. I love that. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have? You know, one one thing I guess I would leave people with is that I think that we underestimate the value of of taking action even when it's not perfect. That when you show up for yourself even just as something as small as lunch, you're doing something. You're not thinking about maybe doing something someday. And there's power in that. And there's a kind of self-confidence that comes from practicing that and showing yourself that it's possible. Even when it's not perfect, it's still better. 15 minutes or 30 minutes for yourself is better than zero minutes. And I think we should live lives that are more about eating the apple and enjoying it instead of spending your life thinking about eating the apple. Yes. How can people find you if they want to get in touch with you or check in on your work? Well, the best way to, to reach me is through my website, which is boxlunchlifestyle.com. And if you go to um, backslash start here, everything you need at your fingertips to get started. It, there's a, a download. It's It's small, but it's it's everything you need to get started. And if you have any questions at all, I'd love to hear from you. 
Thanks so much, Cheryl, for joining. This conversation meant a lot to me and I'm sure it brings a lot of value to the audience. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Cheryl. Ever since we did this episode, I've been cooking more meals for myself and I've worked more vegetables onto my plate. I find that when I'm in the grind of the golf season, I don't dedicate as much time to my food as I should, so this was a great reminder to start small and do what you can. Do yourself a favor and get Cheryl's book, check out her website. Thanks for listening. 